Hello and welcome to uh, Take Orally, uh, Take Orally special coming uh, from the Belgian city of Antwerp. Uh, Jamie Thomas speaking here. Um, we've uh, made ourselves, got ourselves over here to Antwerp for the first Focus Trauma conference. Uh, a really interesting day um, focusing on uh, trauma. Um, although with a bit of a Belgian slant, uh, looking at it from a global perspective as well. And uh, we're just going to go through um, some of the um, uh, presentations that we've had and, and some of the points that were highlighted. Um, the podcast will be in three parts, um, just like the uh, Aorta and Reboa, uh, because the day really uh, has fallen into uh, three sort of broad sections anyway. Um, Apologies in advance for if I've uh, mispronounced anybody's name during this. Uh, I'm an English Luddite, uh, unlike uh, the speakers here and the Belgian people in general who can seem to speak about four different language, all languages, all of them fluently uh, and uh, made me feel quite inadequate. But um, Antwerp is a beautiful city. Belgian people are lovely, uh, very friendly. Uh, and um, I had the most amazing mussels and waffles ever. So if you can get yourself over to Belgium, uh, please do. It's amazing. Um, so the first uh, talk today uh, was uh, has been from um, Professor uh, Niels, um, who is a, uh, a trauma uh, surgeon here in Belgium. Um, who um, really spoke about the um, the issue of trauma within the uh, within Belgium at the moment um, because they don't have a, a major trauma network like we do in the UK uh, and um, I think speaking to somebody who works in the NHS who sees some of the cynicism that goes on it was it was quite um, amazing really to see um, very educated professionals from another country speaking about the NHS in such glowing terms and showing you know the progress that we we have made and, and some Sometimes you have to see it from an outsider's perspective in order to actually see the great work that we've done. Um, they mentioned that uh, in Belgium they have twice the mortality that we have in, in the UK uh, when it comes to major trauma. Um, and he mentioned in part that the fact that there is no uh, major trauma network in Belgium and, and there's no actual form of quality assurance when it comes to uh, major trauma. Um, and so although they've, they've got um, you know, very uh, good services, they've got uh, very train, highly trained professionals, uh, without a common thread tying it all together, um, it was mentioning that, that, that really that they are lagging behind uh, their um, other uh, northern European neighbours, ourselves in particular. Uh, and there's discussion really about what it is to, to set up a major trauma network as it is to set up anything uh, really when it when it comes to, to healthcare and, and major changes, uh, the allocation of resources, um, people who are inspired, interested, who understand the situation, uh, as well as people who have the skills. And it, it brings together all, all manner of, of people, both within the medical profession and outside, such as politicians. Um and um, he mentioned very rather enviously as well that although really it takes about five years to you for you to see a system to properly mature um, over in the UK there were immediate improvements uh, in um, survival rates when it came to major trauma and obviously they were looking at this and hoping to bring about uh, similar uh, in Belgium uh, as well as also mentioning overall the, the huge strides that have been made um, and things we'll talk about later on such as you know traumatic cardiac arrest isn't as futile as we once thought 
um, the the opportunities there are now for early hemorrhage control using procedures such as Reboa. And, you know, looking at the problem in different ways, that it isn't always, you know, the, the transport time of getting a patient from the scene of an accident to hospital, but the time that it takes to get that definitive treatment. It's no good getting them to a hospital if there isn't actually going to be the opportunity for them to get the treatment that they need. And so I think it's very interesting to see, as I said, very um, inspiring, very um, highly educated educated professionals looking at this problem in this way and and um showing probably the, the situation that was in in the uk um a few years ago before the major trauma network came about and and, and the strides that we've made <coughs> excuse me um following on from that rather sort of belgian uh, look on things we then um heard from dr barnard uh, dr ed barnard who you can find on uh, twitter at um at, at ed barn um a emergency physician uh, from the uk from cambridge uh, and he came along to talk about um, whether traumatic cardiac arrest is as uh, is as futile as once thought. Uh, again, laying out the the the, uh, the scale of the problem that that traumatic injury is a disease of of young people pr primarily. Uh, Twenty five percent uh, will die, um, and that the injury worldwide kills more people than TB, HIV, and malaria put together. Uh, Dr. Barnard has a lot of uh, um, uh, military background as well and was able to lend that perspective as well, um, saying that um, in the military 90% of um, potentially survivable deaths are due to hemorrhage. Uh, and whilst tourniquet can stop, you know, 85% of hemorrhages, if you've got a, a non-compressible traumatic hemorrhage, i.e., within the, the torso, pel uh, within the torso, uh, that um, drastically um, uh, affects uh, survival rates. And in the UK, uh, non-compressible tra um, traumatic hemorrhage um, causes 40%. Uh, Forty percent of cases of non-compressible traumatic hemorrhage uh, will suffer a, a traumatic cardiac arrest by the time they get to the hospital in the UK. Um, he looked really at the, the scale of the, of the problem that we've had in literature before, um, quoting paper that uh, a lot of people have heard of from um, Rose Murgy uh, in 1993, who uh, in a study of uh, of uh, nearly 12,500 patients reported a survival rate in traumatic cardiac arrest of 0%. Um, and again, as, as was mentioned in the first case, in the first presentation about how um, Belgium don't have a uh, quality assurance um, um, network when it comes to trauma, he, he brought out the TARN data and, and actually showed that uh, between 2009 and 2015 there was a survival rate of uh, a survival rate to discharge from hospital following traumatic cardiac arrest of 7.5% uh, uh, when compared with the um, um, the pre-2005 average uh, survival rate quoted in the literature of only 2.3%. So if you think bet before 2005, a survival rate of 2.3%, um, and then in the TARN data from 2009 to 2015, a uh, survival to discharge rate of 7.5% following traumatic cardiac arrest. I think that's something that we can be really proud of. Um, we also uh, looked at the TAR data from 2012 looking at functional outcome and showed that, that patients following a, a traumatic cardiac arrest um, who survive 
um, 63.2%, so about two-thirds have a moderate to good outcome when it comes to um, neurological function. Okay, so again, you know, good data, uh, you know, again, it, it, it's not uh, fantastic numbers, um, but it shows that, that it is not uh, as futile as, as it may have once been um, assumed and that there is actually good outcomes uh, from patients who, who survive. Um, he, again, sort of looked at, um, you know, the, the, um, the demographics, um, you know, the median age of, of patients in the UK suffering a traumatic cardiac arrest is, is 44. As I said, it's a disease of, of young people. And, and he commented really about the role of, of um, public engagement in this, you know, the role, not just when it comes to chest compressions, which I think gets a lot of coverage in the media, but also on the role of, of can bystanders get involved before um, medical crews arrive in, in terms of stemming bleeding and in terms of compressing bleeding, applying tourniquets if possible. Um, it also sort of showed this way of, of, of changing the way that we, we look at uh, patients who've suffered uh, trauma in either being in um, a low output uh, state or LOST um, or a, a, a no output state, NOST, um, in terms of you know, is their heart actually providing a cardiac output at that point? Is there still a circulation? Um, you can have patients who are obviously very, um, very poorly, but if there is still an output state, i.e., in the low output state, the uh, the role there is to um, of the, the 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 priority of the medic should be to control the bleeding and also fill the patient with fluids and and with with blood as soon as possible. But in the the no output state, it should instead be to control the bleeding, but also to try and find new ways to to provide a blood flow ourselves to provide a circulation ourselves uh, and he he showed us some data and uh, some research into selective aortic arch perfusion saap um i'll put a um a link to the paper he was he was quoting um up on the blog um as well um for you to for you to take a read of that um following on from from him came along uh, again apologies for getting getting this name wrong uh dr trula who was uh, an anesthetist uh from the czech uh, republic and he's an author one of the authors of the new uh, european resource council algorithm uh, which was able to talk uh, us through um and um he can be found on twitter at at trula a um, and um, he's commented that the, the universal ALS algorithm is not for trauma. Um, uh, it uh, potentially causes harm in cases of traumatic cardiac arrest because it doesn't, um, you know, if you follow it, you're not going to be looking for potential causes such as uh, tension pneumothorax for, on average, about nine minutes. Um and uh, you pointed out that, that in traumatic cardiac arrest, hypovolemia is by far and away the biggest cause of death. And most if you've, uh, most survivors of traumatic cardiac arrest won't have had hypovolemia as their cause of their arrest. Um, again, 
commenting again that that is there uh, on the role of 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 uh, CPR uh, within traumatic cardiac arrest stated that that, that, that you know, the role is unknown uh, and the the opinion of the European Research um, Council algorithm was that that chest compression should not take priority over over other preventable um, causes um, and the treatment. And the opinion of the European Recess Council was that um, chest compression should not take priority over the treatment of preventable causes. Uh, and, and he actually ranked it below treating hypoxia, uh, tension pneumothorax, tamponade and hypovolemia. Those four things to look for and to treat first before then starting chest compressions. Um, again, uh, the European Research Council sort of stated that um, any traumatic cardiac arrest that's more than 15 minutes, in, in their, their opinion and, and in his opinion, is, is unfortunately not going to be survivable. Um, but the, their guidelines do not exclude asystole. So, whereas in, in some of the uh, literature beforehand, um, it was stated that uh, you know there was there would be no survivor uh, survival in a asystolic um, traumatic cardiac arrest. Um, in the, the new guidelines, do not exclude asystole from that. Um, pointed out again then then that the uh, the Research Council of UK hasn't uh, adopted this algorithm. Uh, and has had its its own algorithm in place, uh, which follows a more traditional pathway. Um, I'll again put both of those up on the blog um, for you to have a chance to look at those. Um, but uh, I think he highlighted that this would be a, a future area of research, really, to compare the two, the the European uh, Research Council guidelines, which state that you know if you have a patient who you think has a traumatic cardiac arrest to have bilateral needle, needle decompression bilateral thoracostomies um, to apply tourniquets if, if necessary to um, begin um, uh, to give uh, to start treatment of, of hypovolemia before CPR versus the the research council which as I said follows more traditional um, guidance um, as I said it will be an interesting um, a research topic in the of the future um, there, there was more discussion really about you know whether to give whether to start chest compressions in a in a traumatic cardiac arrest uh, and whether you know the thoracostomies access fluids transexamic acid and, and bleeding um, compression should actually take priority over there um, there was a bit of a debate really about you know the the witness versus the non-witness traumatic cardiac arrest the pressure that can be placed on you uh, as a um, pre-hospital medic if uh, bystanders have already started CPR to to carry that along um, and Dr Barnard made a very good point that in that in the low output state um, chest compressions will reduce the diastolic uh, pressure uh, and so therefore decrease coronary perfusion because that's when uh, coronary perfusion takes place during uh, diastole um, so actually that the CPR might actually impede coronary perfusion in, a, in the low output state in, in trauma um, there was also discussion then that, that if you are uh, at, with a patient in traumatic cardiac arrest if chest compressions are taking place, it can actually um, impede the ability to um, to um, perform an intervention such as the thoracostomy. There's the safety of the patient and also the safety of others of, of in your team at stake there. 
um so you know that was a long debate that went on and and really people had to be very honest and say we don't know and this is an area of continued research i think this is somewhere that that will keep going uh and you know um will inspire a lot more research in the future um so that was really the first part of um the focus trauma conference um we'll uh, continue on into uh, part two um you can find uh, a, a blog all about uh, this conference going along with the podcast including links to some of the stuff i've talked about the the algorithms and um the uh, some of the papers i've talked about at takeorally.com um so make sure you check that out and uh make sure you listen out for for part two